Chapter Fifteen of the Grell Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Grell Mystery by Frank Frost. Chapter Fifteen. Heldon Foyle was more deeply chagrined than he would have cared to admit by the disappearance of Waverley. It was not only that one of the most experienced men of the Criminal Investigation Department had fallen into a trap and so placed his colleagues in difficulties. The very audacity of the coup showed that the department was matched against no ordinary opponents. There is a limit even to the daring of the greatest professional criminals. If there were professionals acting in this business, reflected the superintendent, the idea was none of theirs. Besides, no professional would have written the letter threatening the yard. That was no bluff. The fingerprints proved that. To hold a Scotland Yard man as a hostage was a game only to be played by those who had much at stake. Only one man shared Heldon Foyle's confidence. That was Sir Hilary Thornton. To the assistant commissioner he talked freely. "'It's an ugly job for us, sir. There's no disguising that. Naturally they count on us keeping our mouths shut about Waverley. It's lucky he's not a married man. If the story of the way he was bagged becomes public property, we shall be a laughing stock, even if we get him out of his trouble. And if we don't, the scandal will be something worse.' "'Yes, it's bad, bad,' agreed the assistant commissioner. "'The press must not hear of this.' "'Trust me,' said Foyle grimly, "'the press won't.' "'I don't like this affair of Lady Eileen Meredith,' went on Sir Hilary. "'After all, she has a good right to know the truth. Wouldn't it be better to let her know that Grell is alive?' Foyle jingled some money in his trousers' pocket. "'I hate it as much as you do, Sir Hilary. I can't take any chances, though. Grell knows we know he is alive. When he finds that this girl has not been told, he may try to communicate with her, and then we may be able to lay hands on him and Ivan, and so clear up the mystery.' There's another thing. As far as our inquiries through his solicitors and the bank go, he couldn't have had much ready cash on him. He'll try to get some sooner or later, probably through his friends. He's already tried to approach Fairfield. I see, agreed the other in the tone of a man not quite convinced. Now when are you going down to Grave Street again? You'll want at least a dozen men. There won't be any trouble at Grave Street, answered Foyle with a smile, and if there is, Green and I will have to settle it. More men would only be in the way. Our first job is to get hold of Waverley. "'But only two of you. Grave Street isn't exactly a nice place. If there is trouble—' "'We'll risk that, sir,' said Foyle, stiffening a trifle. He went back to his own room and signed a few letters. Some words through a speaking tube brought Green in, stolid, gloomy, imperturbable. The chief inspector accepted and lit a cigar. Through a cloud of smoke the two men talked for a while. They were going on a mission that might very easily result in death.' No one would have guessed it from their talk, which, after half an hour of quiet business-like conversation, drifted into desultory gossip and reminiscences. "'Sir Hilary wanted me to take a dozen men,' said Foyle. "'I told him the two of us would be plenty.' "'Quite enough, if we're to do anything,' agreed Green. "'I wouldn't be out of it for a thousand. Poor old Waverley and I have put in a lot of time together. I guess I owe him my life, if it comes to that.' Foyle interjected a question. The chief inspector lifted his cigar tenderly from his lips. It was in the old garroting days, he said. Waverley and I were coming down the Tottenham Court Road a bit after midnight, just off seven dials. There were half a dozen men hanging about a corner, and one of them tiptoed after us with a pitch plaster. You'll remember they used to do the stuff up in sacking and pull it over your mouth from behind. I never noticed anything, but Waverley did. The man was just about to throw the thing over me when Waverley wheeled round and hit him clean across the face with a light cane he was carrying. The chap was knocked in the gutter, and his pals came at us with a rush. A handsome driver shouted to us to leave the man in the roadway to him, and hanged if he didn't drive clean over him with the near-side wheel. 
That gave us our chance. We hopped into the cab and got away without staying to see if anyone was hurt. But if Waverley hadn't hit out when he did, I'd have been a goner. I had a funny thing happen to me once in the Tottenham Court Road, said Foyle reminiscently. I was an inspector then, and Big Bill Sladen was working with me. He had a beautiful tenor voice, you will remember. We were after a couple of confidence men and had a man we were towing about to identify them. Well, we got him down to a saloon bar near the Oxford Street end, but I didn't go in because they knew me. It was a bitter cold night with a cold wind and snow and sleet, so I stayed on the opposite side of the road and induced Bill to go over and sing I Am But a Poor Blind Boy in the hope that our birds would call him in and give him a drink. He hadn't been at it five minutes before a fiery, red-headed little potman had knocked him head over heels in the gutter and told him to go away. Bill could have broken the chap in two with his little finger, but he didn't do anything. He came over to me and I sent him back again. This time he did get invited inside, and there he stayed for a full hour while the witness and I stood shivering and wet and miserable in the snow. We could hear him laughing and singing with the best of them. They wouldn't let him come away. It was not until I took all risks and marched in with the witness and arrested them that they tumbled to the fact that he wasn't a real street singer. He glanced at his watch. You'd better go and have a rest, Green. Meet me here at half-past twelve. We'll take a taxi to Aldgate and walk up from there. And by the way, here's a pistol. I needn't tell you not to use it unless you've got to. End of chapter 15